The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. Tweet any question you have for the hosts with the hashtag DealWithYield or email them at host at dealwithyield.com for the chance to hear their response. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our hosts, Joel Wipperforth, Winfield Ag Technology Application Lead, and Kyle Reiner, Winfield Master Agronomy Advisor. Let's take a look back at the growing season and what some of the biggest challenges were and what some of the biggest successes were. Joel, first, your thoughts. We did get started in some parts of the country. In some parts, Kyle, we had some excellent planning conditions. I think it got challenged as we went throughout the season uh, where we got rainfall kind of broke up uh, a, a long distance in between getting the corn planted early and then the beans kind of got in a little bit later. What beans did get in early also got some exposure to some cold, wet soils, which I think had a huge impact on what we saw for brown stem rot and sudden death later on in the soybean season. But with all that being said, we also set a world record for soybean yields so far this year. I think it uh, 171 and a half bushels recorded on uh, on some ground uh, down by Randy Dowdy in in the southeast there. So, albeit a challenging year, the top yielding producer in the U.S. still set a world record this year. So I think that's pretty exciting, despite all the challenges that the weather provided us this year. I think as we just look across my little microcosm that we are here in Minnesota, is it kind of broke up in different spots. As, as you go north, it started off real dry. The soil profile wasn't full, so they had a little room with some of the rains that they had earlier to have some spots where they can add a little bit of moisture and didn't cause a problem. In the southwest part of the state, we started off with a profile that was full. We got an abundant amount of rainfall uh, last fall, to set up for a really wet spring so although everybody thought it went in real good it was about two to three inches of soil on the top that was dry but underneath it was mush and cold so wet and cold and the guys were trying to depict whether they should barely scratch the surface and plant into somewhat dry surface planting or to stir up the muck and bring it up well then they had clods and so it was a challenge for us this spring now there were some acres that were planted real early. Then there was some rains that came in there. But it was the most long, drawn-out planting I've experienced in, in 10 years. I think about um, the year that we've had. We're certainly we were ahead on heat units the entire year. That's a bit of an anomaly. The last two times that we were that far ahead on heat units were 1988 and 2012. 2012 was obviously that drought year. We had plenty of heat units to finish off the year, but you know, you talk about the microchasms, which I looked up, by the way, a community or place or situation regarded as encapsulating in miniature the characteristic qualities. So thanks for teaching me a new word today, Kyle. Microchasm. Googled that. I think back to this spring, we had a CEO of Microsoft out to plant soybeans on a few acres in the central part of the state. And, and what I thought was really fitting. So this guy was coming in. He had his, his plane lands, and we get him down to the field. And we had this really great plan of writing a prescription, and he was going to ride along in the tractor, and it was going to have auto steer and all this stuff. 
And it just so happened that about 20 minutes before he got there, there was a rainstorm that came through. So we went back out and reworked it, tried to get some dry soil back on top. And uh, we actually wound up getting the four acres planted while the big thunder cloud was rolling in. And it was really interesting as he got to experience farming for what it is, is this imperfect logistical choreography of trying to balance the weather and you know all the things and right as the rain cloud was starting to let loose the monitor and the gps went out and they had to restart the tractor two times and i thought boy you know the ceo of microsoft got a good chance to see what farming is really like and it doesn't always choreograph the way that we had planned it here's a few guys that had some challenges this spring just like that whether it's technical planter issues, whatever it may be. And we look at this past year versus the year before in MySpace, we had two years ago, we just had a, the right amount of rainfall, right? We didn't have the big potholes. We didn't have the rings around the potholes that could bring down the yield. I don't know what next year is going to be, but right now we're set up that we're going to have a super wet spring next year with profile that's historically half of what it usually is that we'll probably go into next year where it's it's abundance of rainfall we're gonna have to be patient and sometimes patience is a virtue (laughs) i'm not the most patient person when the sun shines you make hay when the sun shines right joel so tile's going to show again in the fields that are pattern tiled or well tiled fields those will be the ones that you go to warm up faster water can percolate down through Uh, i think next year will be another good year on split application nitrogen and that's something that people should manage around if it's you know this weather stays going through we'll find out on the nitrogen application there might be a lot of spring nitrogen yeah you know that nitrogen piece you you talk about split applying it I think back to this year, we were trying to measure how much nitrogen was being mineralized in the soil. And on a 4 or 5% organic matter soil, we were mineralizing about 120 pounds of nitrogen. And so what's interesting about that is the conditions that favor high yield are oftentimes plenty of moisture and good warm soils, good growing degree units. Well, those are also the conditions that favor mineralization. So we actually, I don't know how short we got on nitrogen, but certainly part of side dressing is making sure that we could split apply it and you didn't expose yourself to that nitrogen moving off target and allowing that plant to take it up. But I thought one of the interesting things we saw as a result of that corn pushing past some of the yield goals that we had fertilized for was we actually saw some yellow corn, which looked like top dieback. We maybe thought it was anthracnose, and it actually, a lot of it wound up being sulfur deficiencies because we mineralized nitrogen out of the organic matter. But if you're not fertilizing with an elemental form of sulfur or you had an ammonium thiosulfate, a sulfate sulfur source out there, a lot of that had already left, and we were left with a plant that was low on sulfur. Kyle, you brought up some of the tissue sample results trends that we saw for this year. About 92% of tissue samples between V10 and V12 this last year were deficient in sulfur. So I thought that was an interesting result as we look back at the year and from a plant nutrition perspective. I think it makes 100% sense on this whole thing. Is It is mobile, right? It's just like nitrogen, it's mobile. Boron's also mobile. Anytime you get abundance of rainfall, whether it's in a four plus inch rain or a a toe drowner at eight to ten inches of rain which we occurred this last year the mobile nutrients like that will show up deficient and sometimes they're characteristically not what we always look at on a normal year because we don't get that much abundance of rainfall 
Yeah. As we think of mobile nutrients, you know, nitrogen and sulfur come to mind. The only thing that beat nitrogen and sulfur to the Gulf of Mexico is boron. Now, the tissue samples this year kind of said that uh, the state of Minnesota, anyways, had an 82% of the tissue samples that were taken were deficient in boron, compared to the national average was 69%. So certainly those micronutrients make a big deal once your macronutrient needs have been met. But you've got to measure what you're trying to manage out there. And certainly plant nutrition played a key role in how the corn crop developed. And it added to the variability of those who managed their crop got consistent yields. And those who let it out there to get what it could gather, well, they had a different result. Does technology continue to make a huge difference on the size of the crop and the quality of the crop? Or um, have we reached a plateau or do you see that still continuing? Well, as the ag tech applications lead for Winfield, we like to claim as many bushels for technology as possible. But, you know, I, I really think it's a, a multitude of factors. Certainly the genetics are out there. You know, when we look at the top U.S. producer getting 532 bushels a year prior, I'm not sure the, the winner's been announced yet this year. But the genetics are out there. It's about managing the stress and the decisions that go along with mitigating those stresses throughout the year. So technology is playing a role. As you look at 300 bushel corn compared to the U.S. average of you know somewhere in 165 to 175, we probably think technology is going to play about a 30 bushel role in there compared to uh, genetics is probably going to play a, a, a 15 to 20 bushel role in there. There's an opportunity to get the right stuff in the right spots and make decisions around how to drive those things. So technology plays a part. It's not the only part. And we do have an audience question today in our deal with yield. And this question comes from Linda. How much has the excessive heat hurt the yield? So I can't speak for every uh, all 50 states, but I can speak for Minnesota. I looked, uh, pulled the information off the Internet this morning from Southwest Research and Outreach Center in Lamberton. Three of U of M there, and what I've seen on there, there we had five days this past summer that were above 86 degrees, right? And they were in the low 90s. So I'm not so concerned with being excessively hot during the day. It's when it's excessively hot during the nights that really seem to be a bigger issue as far as pollination and water stress and, and nutrient movement within the plant. And I also looked on the night temperatures, and we didn't have high enough temperatures, in my opinion, at night to have any kind of impact on yield in Minnesota. I usually see around that 80-degree mark. Plants are just like people. We need to rest at night. We need to relax. We need to take a breath and sleep, right? Plants will do the same thing. If they don't get that option, they're going to be burning all the energy. And people that never sleep and run, 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 eventually either have a breakdown or, I don't know, I've never done it before, Joel. Yeah, but. I don't know. It sounds like if you're sweating when you sleep, the corn plant's not having a good night. And I think respiration, certainly water loss, is one of the things you've got to look at in there. There's three things that typically make a corn crop, and they're in this order, water, water, and water. And uh, when you've got plenty of it, the nighttime respiration isn't as tough to come by. The downside is is you are burning sugar. You're burning the plant's stored energy from the daytime. And so, you know, again, it's that 80-degree overnight temperatures. As you move north, it really cools down at night. So the daytime temperatures aren't a big deal, but certainly you may have had some phantom yield loss there from nighttime temperatures creeping up and burning all of your stored energy that you collected during the day. I think the other thing that we had going for us up here in Minnesota is 
we're pretty darn humid up here in the summertime. Not as humid as a lot of places in the world, but we are pretty humid. And the humidity helps us. If it would have been hot and dry, we could have seen some pollen issues as far as uh, the silks being over 99% water and, and allowing to go down the... The tube and fertilized. We didn't have that problem. We were humid. We were warm, but not excessively warm. And then the night temperatures were fairly cool. But I do know down in the I states, they did say I have some excessive heat through a period. I haven't physically been in those fields to see if there is a kernel abortion or anything else to know that there is a pollen issue. But if they do have issues with warm, warm nights, that could be an issue with pollination. You know, you sound like you've tried out for the movie Fargo. You know, it's not so much the heat, it's the gosh darn humidity up here that gets you. Have you ever, have you ever thought about, uh, you know, signing up for the movie Fargo? Yes, I have a... Hey, I believe it, too. <laughs> you've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperfirth, Winfield Ag Technology Application Lead and Winfield Master Agronomy Advisor, Kyle Reiner. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. 